So it's Hebrews chapter 13, it's verse 9. I'll just read that verse for, for a moment here. It says, Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines or teachings, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. Interesting that this follows verse 8, one of the most famous, famous verses in the whole Bible. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And there are, there's some, uh, when you read commentaries, uh, people have a tough time with the placement of verse 8 in Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, people will say, it doesn't seem to fit there. And uh, of course, it's there by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We know that it's there, and we know that it's in the right place. And I think when you look at this next verse, um, it helps to see why it's there. Because in verse 8, it says that Jesus does not change. He's the same Savior before creation. He's the same Savior uh, when Adam and Eve fell. He's the same Savior when the flood came. He's the same Savior when Moses led the people out of Egypt. He's the same Savior all through the time of the, pro the kings and the prophets. And then he came. And the one who walked this earth is the same Savior who's been there the whole time. He's the Son of God, one with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one holy God, triune God, without beginning and without end. So you see, he comes to this place in verse 8, and he's talked about a number of things in, in chapter 13 already, and he says, it's as though he stops and says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, to say that everything that I've been writing and teaching you is based on who Jesus is, and that Jesus has been the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I think, too, the idea is, and remember what's going on here. The people of God in these churches that, that he's writing to, Hebrews, were Jewish men and women who started to believe that Jesus was Messiah and began to follow him and ran into a lot of trouble. They lost family members. They lost friends. They lost their businesses. They were put out of the synagogues. They lost their social standing. It was a very, very hard, hard life for them. Because in the ancient world, if you were Jewish... You didn't know anybody else but other Jews, pretty much. Now, that wasn't absolute, but your social circle was your friends, Jewish friends, the ones you went to synagogue with, and your family members. And for you to turn to Jesus as Messiah, you lost all of that. So it was hard. It was tough. They suffered a lot of oppression, persecution. Um, they may have actually suffered some physical... Um, well, I know they did suffer some physical attacks from that. So... Uh, they're wobbling, they're asking questions, they're wondering, um, you know, if things are so bad, did we make a mistake following Jesus? Um, why aren't we blessed? Why aren't we prospering? Why isn't God answering our prayers? And, you know, Jesus said that if they persecuted me, if they hated me, they will hate and persecute you as well. But it's hard when you're in the middle of that thinking, did something go wrong here? God, what's happening here? So he wants to make it clear to them, and all through Hebrews, as we've been looking at it, he takes everything 
that was important in the Old Covenant, and he relates it to Jesus Christ, the priests, the high priest, the sacrifices, the temple, everything that a Jewish man or a Jewish woman was used to when Jesus came, that really was pointing to Jesus Christ who was to come. So when, when God gave Moses all the instructions about building a temple, and before that a tabernacle, all of that was really pointing to Jesus Christ, preparing the world for his coming. So Jesus came, and then we have this transition. People who all they knew was there's certain things you're allowed to eat and not to eat. There's only one place you're allowed to worship, and that's in Jerusalem. Um, there's only one, there's, you are only allowed to eat with your fellow Jews. You don't eat with Gentiles. You don't go in and out of their houses. And now, all of a sudden, things have changed because Jesus Christ has come, and it can be confusing. There, there's uncertainty. There's questions. And when you add to that persecution and trouble, trials and tribulations, uh, you, you have people that are, that are in distress. And so God raised up the writer here to give this to them. And now we've gone through all of that, and we're in chapter 13. And if you remember verse 1, he says, let brotherly love continue. In other words, he's saying, now that you understand these things, we need to stay together and love one another. Because some of them had stopped coming to fellowship, stopped uh, coming out to worship the Lord and, and being part of the local church. And he says, let brotherly love continue. We've got to be there for each other. Then as he develops that, you remember the tremendous saying that we have in verse 5 and 6, and we, we saw this this morning. It says, For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And then he says, Remember those who rule over you. Those who've spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, forever. And then he says, do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. Interesting. So the verse before Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, the verse before that is about the church listening to the teachers in the church who are teaching them the word of God. And does the word of God change? No. Heaven and earth may, um, may pass, but my words will not pass, right? And then after Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, he goes on, he says, um, some, he says, he says, do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. And the reason... He has to warn them about this, and this is, this is another warning, is because there's always, there's always attacks in this world on the truth. Always. It's a given. In a world like this, the truth is always under attack. Um, when something amazing happens, something new takes place with the coming of Christ, there's going to be, a, especially then, a period of time where people are trying to figure out what does it all mean. And one of the areas that was of critical concern is, now that Christ has come, what under the old covenant with Moses do we continue? And what under the new covenant with Jesus Christ do we change? And one of the areas under question is, what are we allowed to eat now? What are we allowed to drink now? What has changed about our diets? What has changed about the days we worship? 
Is there one day that we must keep? And if we don't keep, we'll go to hell if we don't? So there's real questions here. So can you, can you imagine the overlap, the end of the old covenant and the inauguration of the new covenant? And these men and women used to everything under the old covenant the way that was. And there's a new freedom and liberty that comes in Christ's new covenant that he has sealed and secured for us with his blood. So he says, now, do not be carried about with various and strange, now the word strange doctrines here, teachings that are not true to the word of God. Teachings that human beings come up with and use these teachings to mislead people. Now, I believe there are people that sincerely teach error. They mean well. They really believe it's, it's of the Bible, but they're wrong. I also believe there's those that are out there that I think they know they're wrong, and I think they're trying to attract a following, and they want to make money, and they want people to look up to them, and they want to be big shots. And, you know, they are not sincere. They're not real. But it doesn't matter. We are still responsible to be sure of what we believe and what we accept as biblically true and we contend that is biblically false. So I wanted to say, in the light of this warning, do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines that we need to forget about the so-called good old days. There has been, and I was guilty of it many years ago myself, that back in the days of the apostles, the church had everything right, and everybody got along, and everybody knew what to believe, and everybody was happy. You don't read your Bible if you think that. Read Acts. Right off the bat, there's problems. First uh, Corinthians, one of the earliest writings in the New Testament, there's lots of problems there. In fact, God so designed the problems of that day that we get the New Testament as a result. So that as there were heresies and there were heretics and as there were opponents to the gospel and the apostles preaching and teaching and going about preaching the gospel, people coming to Christ, churches being planted, there, there was a lot of controversy and God used all of that so that different ones that he raised up to write these different parts of the New Testament, the four Gospels, the book of Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and so on, so to the end, the book of Revelation, you and I would have, going all the way back to the beginning, everything we need written down so we can know the truth and we can be sure of our salvation and how God wants us to live and, through the word of God, have hope, and promise, and joy, and confidence until the day we close our eyes here, breathe our last breath, and see God. We have the sufficiency of the scriptures. So the church and God's truth have been under attack from the very beginning. And this is a very early letter, by the way. So these are some of the first believers in the history of the church, and they're already in a battle right off the bat. There's always a battle for the truth. Every generation throughout history has been in the battle for the truth. When, when you send a gospel laborer into some other part of the world, 
They don't go in and start preaching and people all of a sudden say, wow, we've been waiting for you all this time. It unleashes a battle and a war because the gospel is in, un- is in unfriendly territory. It's a fallen world. And there is an enemy who hates God's people, who hates God, and wants to draw people away to buy lies in order to destroy them and have them cast into hell forever, where he's going to end up too. So I wonder if you even realize tonight that you are being shot at, that you're in a world and you're the target. And that doesn't mean we should be scared. It doesn't mean we should be angry and bitter and resentful, not want to go out anywhere. It means that we've got to be aware and we've got to be prayed up and we've got to know the word of God so that we, when we hear things, we can discern the truth from error and continue to follow the Lord and help people out there in the world who are confused and in darkness and, and need the truth. And we are the ones who have the truth, the light of the world, the salt of the earth. And it seems to me that the most important doctrines of our faith are the ones that are most often under assault. The most important teachings are what are most often under assault. Now, let me give you a few examples, then we'll, we'll talk some tonight about these foods and diets. First of all, we believe that we are saved by grace through faith. This is one of the most contested doctrines in all of history. Major organizations that call themselves Christians mix grace with works. And this is a big, big problem. We believe in undiluted grace and faith as the basis of our salvation, not works. Not even a little bit. We're saved by grace apart from works. A second one is what I call, and bear with me here, as we're dealing with this right here. I call it covenantal carryover or confusing the covenants. And what I mean by that is there are many people, and don't do it, but I will say it just as an example, you can Google, uh, you, can, you can search a certain phrase, theological phrase or biblical phrase on YouTube, and you are going to find almost as much error as truth when it comes up with all the, all the hits. It's really bad out there. The devil is very, very active. So, and what I mean by covenantal carryover or confusing the covenants, I'm talking about the Mosaic covenant or the old covenant and the new covenant. And what's happening is that there are many people out there around us who will teach you that parts of the old covenant are still in play. And if you don't subscribe to those parts of the old covenant, then you're not a good Christian. You may not even be a Christian. And so what I call confusing the covenants. Um, or there's what I call sacramental confidence. How do I know I'm saved? I was baptized. No. How do you know you're saved? I believe in Jesus. He's all my hope and all my confidence. I believe in Christ and Christ alone. That's how I'm right with God. There's no other way. He's the one who lived the perfect life, not me. He's the one who died as my sacrifice on the cross. That's what I deserved. I won't get that because he took it for me. And death could not hold him any longer. So on the third day, he rose again. That's why I'm going to rise again and go to heaven and be with the Lord. 
Sacramental confidence, no good. This is another huge one. Who is Jesus? Is he an angel? Is he just a good man? Or is he God Almighty come in the flesh? And what is the Trinity? Is the Trinity real? Or is the Trinity made up by us? And it's not in the Bible. That's another really huge one. And then the scriptures. What are the scriptures? Are they really the words of man? Are, are they really the words of God? Or are they a little of both? Are they all true? Are they mostly true? That's another very big one. And it's a hot one today, really. Now tonight, here's what we're going to deal with. Look at Hebrews 13.9. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good, now we're going to find out what he's talking about, that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. Now, who was occupied by foods? Well, obviously the Jewish people. There were clean and unclean foods. But also around the, the believers in, those day, in that day and age were other people, other pagans, unbelievers, who had their own ideas about what to eat and what not to eat. And there is this whole matter of asceticism. And that is, if you make your body suffer, then your spirit will become strong. So, you know, you've, you've probably heard of people that beat themselves. Um, people that uh, at Easter, we're going to see it again this year, where they allow themselves to be put up on a cross and they're going to be there for hours or days. They're, gonna, they're proving their love for God. They're proving their devotion to God. It's, it's worthless. We don't have to suffer in order to prove ourselves to God because Jesus suffered to pay for our sins. You can't add to that, and you better not take away from that. So, so tonight, we want to ask the question, are we saved by or kept saved by our diet and our rules? And the question is, no, because the heart is established by grace. But I know, and I don't know who all of you are here tonight and what you've faced and what kinds of people you're interacting with and bring up things to you or stuff that you've read or seen on the internet, but I'd like to talk about this because I believe that the devil wants to bring believers under bondage with food and drink and wants to confuse people so that we never get the liberty that we have in the gospel, the freedom to say, you do love me. You do fully accept me. As wretched and sinful as I am, as many times I keep sinning, I don't want to, but I do. But because of Jesus, I'm accepted by you forever because of your grace and your mercy. So let's take a look, and I want to look at what I think is Paul's major passage on this. So look at Romans 14. That's what we read tonight, and I want to do a a, a quick overview on Romans 14. The reason why I want to do this is so that you have it and go home and you can read it and study it and meditate on it and say, oh, okay, I see. And Paul is amazing. He's amazing. Paul is not interested in just getting it right. He's very much interested in promoting the love of the members of the body of Christ for each other. So he's going to say something like this. Now, the truth of the matter is 
that a believer by faith can eat and drink whatever they want. And they can decide which day they want to make the most important day. Every day, one day, that's okay, as long as they're doing it to the glory of God. But at the same time, I know that not all believers have that knowledge. Not all believers are there. And so what's really important is those of you who are strong still love those who are weak. And those of you who are weak still love those who are strong. The church's unity must be maintained and intact. And I shouldn't cut you off because you eat what? And you shouldn't cut me off because I, I eat everything, okay? Or I don't eat this or that. So I want you to see that, and I'm giving you a, an introduction to Romans 14. So let's take a look at this, verse 1. Paul says, receive one or a person, a believer who is weak in the faith but not to disputes over doubtful things. He says, you're going to meet fellow believers that are weak in the faith. They, they believe things that aren't, aren't really, they don't need to believe. They're going to practice things they think are good for them that they don't really have to practice. Receive them. If they believe in Jesus, if they're your brother or your sister, receive them. And don't get into big arguments over these things. Verse 2, for one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Now, I don't think Paul's intentionally trying to mislead anybody at all. But I want you to see something that he says here, that if you're not careful, you'll miss it. Overall, he is saying, as long as this is your brother or your sister in the Lord, love them, get along with them, and be patient with them. But notice he uses two words, weak and strong. Did you, meet, did you see those words? Let's look at this again. Receive one who is weak in the faith. Now, who's the one that's weak in the faith? Read on, verse 2. One believes he or she may eat all things, but the one who is weak eats only vegetables. You see that? Isn't that interesting? He's very generous, very loving, but he uses the word weak. If you have a rule, a scruple about what you can and can't eat, you're weak. Now, I know some of you may be thinking right away, wait a minute, wait a minute. There are more reasons about why you should eat something and not eat something than just this. He's talking about religious scruples, that I'm, I'm, I'm a better Christian if I don't eat this, or I'm really, I'm really glorifying God if I... No. Now, let's say you have a medical problem. So, for example, let's say diabetes. Well, you better not eat. You know, you better not eat carbs more than you should. You better not heap the sugar into your tea or your coffee. You need to be careful. It's religious scruples he's talking about. It is saying that I am more right with God by what I eat and what I don't eat than somebody else who differs from me. No, no, no. You are right by, with God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So let's move on. Verse 5. He says... One person esteems one day, so we've moved on to a different subject from eating to the day that you keep as holy. One person esteems one day above another, 
another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day, to the Lord he does not observe it. He who eats, now he's back to that, bringing that in, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat and gives God thanks. Now what's most important is even if you're a weak believer and you just can't, you just can't, you just can't have that freedom or that liberty that that so-called strong believer has, just keep praying, keep trusting the Lord, keep following Jesus, and, and Jesus can, can change a person's mind, right? You know, isn't it true really that whenever you or, or, or whenever I have changed my mind, it wasn't so much somebody beating me over the head, it was the Lord cleared, cleared it up for me. The Lord showed me through his word. Yes, preachers preaching, friends talking about it, but when I changed in some of my thinking, it was, oh, Lord, I see. Because you know what? If you're like me, you're really a believer. I don't want to believe anything that's contrary to the word of God. And if I think something's true to the word of God, I don't want to change it unless I know that I've been mistaken and, oh, this, uh, this is what the Bible says. And I have, I've, I've had an inaccurate view prior to now, right? We want to know what the word says and go with what the word says. So then he says this in verse 7, summing it up. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. If we live, we live with respect to the Lord. If we die, we die with respect to the Lord. In other words, as I live, I want to live for the Lord. And when the time comes for me to die, I want to die trusting the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother, or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He will sort it out when the time comes. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way." So there's contention at the church at Rome. There are arguments and debates and fighting. He's saying, look, you don't have to straighten everybody out. You don't have to go in there and say, okay, everybody, this is the way it is. And if you don't like it, get out. No. Let's be patient. Let's love one another. Let's pray for one another. Let's pray with one another. And yes, talk about it. That's okay. But don't get into a heated dispute where somebody decides, I'm not going to be with you anymore or I'm not going to accept you into my life anymore. That's the idea here, is it's weakness, it's not rebellion. It's not, now, there is a difference. When you have somebody who starts to really preach to you that if you don't do what we're telling you to do, then you're not going to go to heaven, or you're, you're not right with God. When you believe in Jesus and you know you're right with God, that's a person who keeps pushing that, steer clear. Move away. Don't let that person get under your skin. And then verse 14. Now look at this. I know, Paul the Apostle says this, and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. Did you see that? Now I'm refraining from mentioning certain organizations. Maybe I should mention them. But this is the Apostle Paul. 
I go with the Apostle Paul. I don't know about you. He says, I know. That's an apostle. I'm convinced. That's an apostle. And who convinces him? The Lord Jesus, that there is nothing, N-O-T-H-I-N, unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, ha-ha, to him it is unclean. What he's saying here is, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, because I know what Jesus Christ has done, we're under the new covenant, not the old covenant. I don't have a problem with eating whatever God has made out there for me to eat. But not everybody has that freedom. Not everybody has that conscience. So if you are stuck, then stay there until you get the liberty from the Lord through the understanding that God might give you through the Holy Spirit and the Word of God from Jesus that you can say, you know what? I can eat a hoagie. I can have a pork chop. It's okay. I can eat crab. Because in the Old Testament, you couldn't do any of that. Or I can eat meat. I can even eat meat that's been offered to an idol because I don't believe in that idol. I thank the Lord for this hamburger, and I eat it because to the glory of God, he's given me this food to eat. See? But Paul is saying, but be patient. Not everybody has the knowledge that you have. Then he goes in verse 15. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you're no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. And then he gives us a principle. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. No, it's much better than that. It's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. So even the weak believer who's, who's got it wrong, as long as he or she is saying... I just really believe this is what God would have me to do to the glory of God, and I'm following Jesus, and I know he's the only one who saves me, and I'm saved because I believe in Jesus, but I just can't bring myself to either. Uh, for example, back in seminary, I think, Dave, you might remember, and Pastor Skip, we went to the same seminary around the same time. We had a brother who was Jewish, who had been a very Orthodox Jew, and he was also ethnically Greek. And he came into the seminary the time we did, and we got to know each other, and he said to us, all my life, now this man was in his 50s, I think he was all, already in his 50s by the time we got to know him, pretty close to his 60s, and we would discuss this with him. He said, all my life I've been of the most orthodox brand of Judaism. And the, the, we, we really were strict about what we, should, what we could eat and what we couldn't eat. He said, then when I started to believe in Jesus and read the New Testament, I, I, believe, I realized that under the New Covenant, I could eat the things I was forbidden to eat under Judaism. He said, so one day he decided he was going to eat some ham. And he sat down, and he began to cut it and tried to put it in his mouth, and he began, he got sick. He said, as much as I knew that it was okay for me to eat this, my body wretched, and I couldn't bring myself to do it. That was back then. I don't, I've lost touch with him. But it was interesting for me to hear that, that he knew, according to the new covenant, this was acceptable. But his body said, no way, Jose. <laughs> do not eat that. Don't put that in your mouth. And the body was not cooperating with his freedom in Christ. So I thought, I learned a lot when I met this brother in the Lord, and I heard him talk like that. I said, oh, okay. 
I never understood that. I never saw it that way until I met him. So just to give you a little experience of somebody that I, I met. So verse 19, let's finish this out. Therefore, what's most important? Let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. And here I think Paul is again um, bringing something in that you have to look for. If I'm still getting along with my brother or sister and we have these differences, if we are enjoying one another, worshiping together, still having conversation together, and we edify one another, Paul is pointing out that if you keep the channels of communication open and you keep your relationship healthy and loving, then that brother or sister will be open to considering and reconsidering the truth. And at some point saying, you know what? I can eat that now. I don't, I don't feel bound by my scruple, by these dietary laws and rules that I've, I felt bound to obey and hold. And then he says in verse 20, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things, here again, Paul is making clear what the New Testament teaches. The New Covenant, all things indeed are pure. He's making it clear that what once was considered unclean under the Old Covenant is no longer considered unclean under the New Covenant. All things indeed are pure. But he says, still maintaining his, his careful balance of love and respect, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. If I say, well, so-and-so says I can eat this, and I, I don't feel right about it, but I'm going to eat it anyhow because I want to be in with the in crowd or something like that, then you violate your conscience, and you're basically saying, I really don't believe this is right, but I'm going to do it anyhow. So Paul says, no, be patient. You know, don't rush. And then he says in verse 21, <clears throat> It is good neither to eat meat, nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. So I have to be careful when I'm dialoguing with somebody, and I, I, I think I've got you now, and I've got you convinced, so come on over to my house and let's eat this. And that person is still hesitant and conscience-bound, don't do it. It would be better for you not to eat while you're with that brother or sister what you believe you are free to eat than to eat it and cause them unpleasantness. And then verse 22, do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. In other words, be glad that you have faith, but don't flaunt it. Don't try to force other people to, to subscribe to your freedom. And then he says, happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. So basically what he's saying here is that I can know that I have freedom and exercise my freedom in such a way that I condemn myself. I use my freedom against another person. Instead of promoting love and the unity of the body, I can be actually using my freedom to break the body, fracture the body, divide the body. And this was a big problem in 1 Corinthians, by the way. Let's finish with this. This is one of the most important principles in the Bible right here. Verse 23. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Here the principle is, in this particular context, is that if I can't in good faith 
go against my rules, change my eating habits, then I shouldn't. It also applies to another area. You know, sometimes we try to make a decision as Christians, and we, there's nothing in the Bible that says, do this or don't do that. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure, what would the Lord have me to do? And I can say that I think this would be good for me to do, but I, I think this also could be the right thing for me to do. I'm not sure. Maybe I have a third or a fourth. What the Bible says here is, whatever is not of faith, is sin. And the point is, don't make a move until you can do it in faith. That is, until you have clarity in your mind through prayer and waiting on the Lord and reading scripture, getting wise counsel from, from godly brothers and sisters, don't make a move until in faith you can say, yes, I know this will be pleasing to the Lord. Now I can do it. If you don't have that faith, stop. Uh, one of my old... Uh, uh, counseling teachers called this the woe principle. You know when you're riding a horse and you go, whoa! In other words, stop. He called it the woe principle in the Bible. No, whoa! I'm not going to do this or that until I get clarity from the Lord that I can in fact do X or Y or Z or neither of the three. Make, clear, make sense to you? Good, I hope so. So, going back to Hebrews 13, let's uh, remind ourselves of where we began. He says in, in verse 6, I'm sorry, verse 9, do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. There's going to be various teachings out there. There's going to be strange ones, strange to the ones where you've, I never heard that before. That sounds like it could be biblical. Maybe I missed something. Beware. Be cautious. Make sure you know some good and godly Christians that you can consult on this thing. And he says, the heart is established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. Lord willing, what I'd like to do next time is I would like to then also take a look at what Jesus says and then what Paul says in Colossians. Um, in Romans 14, we have a very practical chapter. In Colossians, we're going to see the why the Old Covenant is no longer, put it this way, why the Old Covenant no longer has authority over us, and in Christ we're in the New Covenant, and we do not have to subscribe to the Old Covenant rules and regulations. We trust in Christ to be saved, the grace that has come to us in Christ. So Lord willing, next week we'll take a look at that. Let's, uh, let's stop right here, though, and, and Take some time, read through Romans 14 for yourselves and see how Paul develops that, okay? Father, help us as we sort through these important matters. I think about how I hear um, things like this being um, talked about, debated about, uh, promoted, and it seems that uh, all too many uh, people around us want to find something they have to do to make themselves more spiritual, more pleasing, more acceptable, or somehow perhaps, I guess in a certain way, make themselves feel like um, they have some degree of control over their relationship with you. We know, Lord, that, that, no, we love you because you first loved us. So help us, Lord, as we think through these things, and may we be strengthened, and may we, may we be joined with those that are strong in faith through the freedom and liberty that we have in you, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.